Get ready for the Magic Valley PrepCast on IdahoSports.com. That's right. Welcome in another edition of the Magic Valley PrepCast on IdahoSports.com, where we talk District 4 athletics week in, week out. My name is Brandon Bainey. We're joined today by Bono Baby, Scott Burton. What's up, Bono? Oh, what's going on there, Brandon? Bright and early on this Thursday morning. Just uh, sitting around, getting ready to uh, hit the road, drinking a little coffee, chatting with you. Going to be an epic weekend. Yeah, I've got my uh, I've got my coffee as well. We are recording this uh, early Thursday morning, September twenty eighth, which means you're going to see this uh, probably mid morning or Thursday afternoon, even. So uh, that'll be a nice yeah. treat for all of you. You can get this podcast on IdahoSports.com or wherever you download your podcasts, as well as the IdahoSports.com YouTube channel and facebook page uh let's let's dive right into it scott no time for pleasantries here we've got to get to it because i know you've got to get out of town soon so oh, you, don't want I, you know what i've got a little time i can sit and chat with you and i drive like a madman anyway so i can get to boise in 61 minutes okay so you're driving to boy <laughs> you're driving to boise and then what are you flying or yeah catching it catching a, a plane to vegas and tomorrow night we are um going to catch the opening night of U2 in the Sphere. Uh, we VIP seating right up front, and it's, it's going to be awesome. And those were, those were lottery things. I mean, it's not like you just went online and you bought those. We had to be in a um, – I'm going to sound like a complete nerd, but being a, being a U2 club member and the vice president of the Section 4 fan club um, – we were put into a lottery and, and this is for people around the world somehow got chosen. And so I'm heading down there with um, some friends. We're going to go down and we're going to tear it up. We're going to get you two Friday night. We're going to get Carrie Underwood on Saturday night and uh, fly back on Sunday. Wow. Well, you can go three for three, Scott, if you you get you two Friday night, Carrie Underwood Saturday. And then if you just watch the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday, you'll get Taylor Swift. So, mm. yeah, no kidding. That was I, I tell you what, watching that thing, I'm not sure what anybody was really paying attention to. I mean, it certainly wasn't the game, but the game was a blowout anyway. But holy crap, I've never seen anything quite like that. And uh, it's funny watching guys like, you know, Patrick Mahomes comment on it and, and uh, all of his teammates. And but the only thing, the only thing is for certain in that deal is at some point down the road, Travis Kelsey will have a song written about him. <laughs> I I'm, I'm looking at it. And my fantasy football team is doomed. I took Travis Kelsey with my first pick. Taylor Swift's going to chew him up and spit him out. Like she does all the other men. He's going to be ruined. <laughs> Justin Fields, <laughs> Justin Fields from Chicago is my quarterback. That's going really great so uh, far. Obviously, yeah, my team's. Do, I, I might go winless this year. It'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, you poor thing. Yeah, that's uh, tough times in your fantasy world, isn't it? In, in yeah. your fantasy football world. Yes. I mean. Well, <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah, I'm sure you're getting out the world's smallest violin to to play for me uh, on that. I am. I yeah. am. I'm sure you can hear it right now. It's. Yeah, I'm, I'm not doing much better. I I was the uh, last pick in both of my leagues. Um, I guess that's the byproduct of winning them the year before. Now I'm the last pick, and I am just a, a, a mess from week to week trying to 
to figure things out. It, you know what? You get your last pick in fantasy. God, you hate to say this, but you're you're kind of hoping that guys get dinged up and hurt ahead of you, you know, because that's the only shot you got. <laughs> yeah. So. For sure. Um, so uh, Taylor Swift, not the last time we're going to talk about Taylor Swift today. Uh, it's going to tie into our next Scott's thoughts that we'll get to at the end of the show. So stay tuned for that. But uh, before we get this, before we get to Scott's thoughts, we got to talk about, you know, I guess Taylor Swift was a big story away from the athletic arena, right? She was up in the stands. And again, the biggest story this week in Idaho is something that happens away from the arena, the bureaucracy of the petition process for Idaho's high schools. Yesterday, the IHSAA board held uh, their September meeting in Pocatello and sat through a litany of petitions from various schools across the state. Scott, new wrinkle this year where uh, in the past, schools had to petition up or down as an entire athletic program. Now they can kind of all the cart and pick which sports they want to go up or down in. And it's created um, a, a lot of a lot of tape to clear in this process. Yeah, this was super interesting, and, and uh, some of these moves, I mean, are expected. Um, I was surprised to see some of the schools petition down after being really successful in whatever they're doing, you know, and they got denied. But, man, there's going to be a lot of movement. And, you know, from our standpoint as, as ADs, we're, we're kind of in limbo until this comes out on scheduling. Because we're not sure everybody's going to fall. And then those that are leaving us, we need to figure out, okay, well, what non-cons do they want to keep? And then who do we have to replace? And then in what week is that? Because this really does create scheduling nightmares. And, and that's something I don't think people realize is that, you know, the schedule when you've got a conference that is just solid and it doesn't change, you know, it's easy to make a schedule. You know, you've got your, you play the same teams in the same weeks. You just basically flip-flop home and away. And then your non-cons, you go get them because you have them in like weeks one, two, and three. And it's simple. Now it's different. When you've got a team that's kind of coming or going or whatever, it screws up everybody um, because it is, it, it's all connected. So now that we have this, the mess of scheduling is going to begin. Yes. Uh, specifically in the Magic Valley, uh, Canyon Ridge, petitioned uh down in football and girls basketball and softball they were approved for football and softball denied for girls basketball um which means yeah. uh you know you'll kind of have that old great basin conference in in some sports um but at the same time it's it, this process to me has always seemed kind of arbitrary to me like i uh, nope you're not gonna get to go down and you do get to go down and it's like I don't know what, what's so different about the girls basketball team at Canyon Ridge versus like softball. I, you know what? I don't know that that one is the one that actually surprised me a little bit. Um, and I, I think, you know, Ted Reynolds over at Canyon Ridge was doing it the right way. And he was putting sports in a place to where he thought, okay, there's no reason why to petition down on this one. This one needs to go up, down, whatever girls basketball. I thought might've been a, a, a sure thing to be, moving down but that one that one kind of surprised me a little bit yeah so now the other conversation though is this is because when you get all of this movement up and down these conferences don't look the same and so now all of a sudden you know you had a seven-team conference now it's a six-team conference and somebody else got another team 
or maybe it was a replacement. Anyway, the state births now are going to be talked about and the representation at state is, is something else that's kind of lingering in the back as we figure all this out. Yeah, it's a, it's a new world for sure. Uh, Wood River uh, petitioned down in football again. They got the green light there. They petitioned down in girls basketball, got the green light there. Uh, Hanson petitioned down in, in basketball and, and got, got the okay there. The Sun Valley Community School petitioned down in volleyball and basketball. They got the okay. You know, most of these got approved. Only a couple. There were a couple of outlandish ones that I'm like, you you have no shot. <laughs> like, like, you know, like, like. Just saying Emmett, you know, Emmett. Yeah, that's one that came to my mind, too. It's like, what? Come on. Because, because there, there are some standards in place where it's a winning percentage of what, 200 or less mm-hmm. in, in varsity competition at your classification level. Uh, they look at number of athletes coming out for first specific programs. There's a lot of data that that the board considers when approving or denying. And, and I think you're right. Most schools do it the right way. Only mm-hmm. choose the sports that are really struggling. Some try to sneak in and say, yeah, we should move down, but those get denied. Those get snuffed out pretty quickly. They do. And I, and I think you hit the nail on the head. Most of the ADs really, they know what they're doing. And, and the process for the IHSAA on this is pretty easy when you've got people that are doing it for the right reasons, not saying anybody wasn't, but you know, there's, there's different philosophies on why you move up and move down because I mean, it, you get a school that has been successful and then all of a sudden they get, you know, some down years coming up or they see some classes that are coming that are not as strong. And, you know, that's the thing about high school sports is it it ebbs and flows all the time. Right. And so, you know, we did see a few of these that were in that process that, okay, they've been good for a little while or competitive and now they're dipping because they're in that ebb and flow and they're going to come out of it in a little bit, but the timing was right. It's like, well, let's petition down because we're going to be absolutely crappy for the next couple. That's not the way it works. And that's not the reason to do it, you know? And so there's different thought processes uh, on that. And I think that's partly, partly why the IHSA came up with that criteria that they did, you know, the winning percentages. I mean, because really we're looking at competitive equity over a certain amount of time versus just, we're going to be really bad the next couple of years. So we don't want to get killed. Uh-uh, that's not, not the way that it rolls. Um, and, you know, and the other thing too, you look at that has to be part of the equation and it's a difficult, a difficult dynamic in this. And that is the financial side of things and the travel, because, I mean, you look at a team like Canyon Ridge, well, there are no 5A schools, a hundred miles within Twin Falls. They're either going to Boise or they're going to Pocatello or Idaho Falls the end that's it you know so now you have to weigh that into the equation because it's going to cost them a lot more for a conference game you know and so when they're going two hours away to play a conference game and that same team two hours away is coming to canyon ridge to play i mean the gate that you're looking at from a financial standpoint not only just the cost of travel but you know, athletic departments, they make their money primarily at the gate. That's where they get it. And these gates may not be as big because all the conference opponents are coming from two hours away. So that's going to be interesting as well. And so when you kind of figure all this out, that financial part is is a huge piece of the puzzle. 
Yeah, that's also one of the criteria they use when determining. And and lest Emmett think we're picking on them, uh, I'll give you another example of one. I was just like, there's no way this is kind of vision charter at the 1A level, Scott. They won the baseball and softball conference titles last year and petitioned down in both of those sports. And I'm like, because they're, they're moving up. They're moving up a level because of yeah. enrollment. And they wanted to stay where they were. And I said, there's just no way that's going to happen. So like... So there was it wasn't just Ahmed, it wasn't just Vision Charter. I mean, we could sit here and dissect every move, but that would take way too much time, and I don't want to do that. So right, you know, and, and that's an that's a good example of, of what I was just talking about. You know, you you win the state title, and now all of a sudden, what did you graduate everybody and now you're gonna be bad again and you go down? Um, that's just not the way that this system is supposed to work. Right. So uh, we will keep an eye out. I guess in December, schools can appeal uh, if they were denied. Um, does that sound right, Scott? Or is sure. it done? Why not? I mean, I, I'm learning all this <laughs> stuff as I go. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I had somebody tell me that, and I was like, okay. Uh, if you are interested in seeing how this affects each conference and each sport. It took me a long time to put this together, but it is on top of the homepage at idahosports.com. I've listed all the schools that were approved slash denied. And then also, okay, how does each conference look now based on who's moving up or moving down? And um, it, it it's different for every sport. So you can have to look at all of them to, to see the whole picture, but it is all there at the homepage at idahosports.com. If you want to, take a look at that yeah you did it uh, you did a fantastic job with that that just really mapped it out nicely um and yeah and if y'all hadn't had a chance to go look at that do it because it really puts it into picture of what this new world is going to look like now there's not a, a massive amount of changes but the changes that are there like we said it is a domino effect and it, it is going to mess with some things Definitely. So uh, our next story, Scott, also kind of happening away from the athletic arena. It's something I think we have to talk about, uh, and it's the situation going on at Can. This is a Canyon Ridge heavy episode early on here. Um, the the volleyball program at Canyon Ridge, and we've talked about this team a couple of times already this year on the prep cast coming in with high acclaim. They had finally vanquished twin falls last year and gotten a state got on a run. They've got two division one volleyball players on their roster and then all of a sudden last week uh they're getting ready to play twin falls in their big crosstown showdown and adam angle from the uh, times news was there covering the game he did a great job at kind of looking around and going wait a minute <laughs> there's some players missing here uh it turns out that all of the varsity players from canyon ridge except for two had had left the team and they were sitting in the stands uh, spectating, holding signs, supporting the two varsity players that had remained with the program. Um, uh, it, it's kind of a weird situation. Nobody was really saying much about it. And then they came the next night to Jerome Scott. So you got to see it with your own eyes. This Kenny regime, basically they had to call up almost the entire JV squad to fill in. And it sounds like that's the way it's going to be for the rest of the year. Yeah, this thing is, this thing is a head scratcher and, and it's pretty tight lipped right now. You know, you're watching the media outlets, whether it's, you know, KMVT down here, the Times News, they don't know, you know, and their job is to go out and find out and they don't even know, you know, and even with with my friendships that I have with uh, Canyon Ridge folks, including their coach, their AD, you know, they're they're limited on what they they want to say and what they can say. 
and and I and I told both of them that I, I'm not gonna, you know, say anything or do anything that's gonna paint Canyon Ridge in a bad light. And I and I won't do that. Um, but I will say that this situation is peculiar and it will come out. Um, the kids that walked out on that team, they had a deadline to return to work out whatever issue they had and that deadline passed. And so this Canyon Ridge team, which we talked about early in the season as maybe one that could make some noise at state. I mean, we're talking Skyview and everybody else typically, but who else would it be? Canyon Ridge came into the conversation. And now all of a sudden that awesome season is changed. It's you, you lost your players because they don't want to come back. And now they won't come back because that deadline has passed. These JV kids that are coming up, they're the ones plus the two that stayed. And so I don't know, Brandon, this thing is, it, and it, it always, it's going to depend on who you ask, you know, everybody's got their own version of things, but what we do know is that the players weren't happy with something who knows what it was and staged some sort of walkout. Yeah. So the two players that are still on the team that were varsity players to begin with are a pair of juniors, Ava Martin and Jordan Norlander. Lindsay Norlander is the head coach. The The thing I thought was interesting was Adam Engel from the Times News is at the game and he, you know, asked the coach and she's like, yeah, uh, coach Norlander. She says, yeah, I don't really have much to say about it. So then he goes to the players that are sitting in the stands and you would think they'd be the ones that would, if they right. feel aggrieved or whatever, would want to get whatever they're feeling out, they didn't have anything to say. They said, we don't really want to talk about it either. So I, I mean, he's doing his job. Yeah. That's what's really surprising is that when you have something of this magnitude, somebody's going to talk. Nobody's talking right now. And it's almost like they came to this agreement that we're not going to say anything. And, you know, talking to um, coach Norlander, I mean, she's got nothing but positive things to say about these kids. You know, I mean, she didn't utter a negative word to me about it. And, you know, obviously I, I respect, you know, her as a coach and, and the friendship and I don't want to do anything to, to mess that up. But I mean, she was pretty adamant that I've got nothing but great things to say about these kids, you know? And, and I'm like, okay, that then we'll leave it at that. But, Man, whatever went on, I mean, it will come out. And chances are it's all going to come out at the end of the season. But moving forward for Canyon Ridge, this is a whole new look team. And so what that does to the conference is, man, if you are Twin Falls, you are like licking your chops right now because that just brought you back into the fray. And if you're Wood River, same thing. Because if you're looking at two berths out of here, Canyon Ridge was almost a shoe-in for one of them. And then it was going to be, I mean, really Wood River and Twin next in line battling for that one spot. And now you've got this JV squad for Canyon Ridge, and they're going to have to carry the mail to get out of the conference. And now you've got, you know, the, the, the wolves in the background with Wood River and Twin going, we got this. We got a shot now. I mean, there's, they had a shot anyway, but it got a little bit better. And right now at the top of the conference, it's a, it's a three-way tie. 
between those three, Wood River, Canyon Ridge, and Twin. And Twin and Canyon Ridge, they've split on the season. Um, it, who knows? This is going to be an interesting district tournament in volleyball. Yes. So in uh, this conference as a whole is fascinating where uh, Twin, Twin and Canyon played early in the season and Twin won that epic five-set battle three to two. Obviously, they win the matchup against the JV players three nothing. Um, so, so Twin has a leg up there. But then you look at Twin; they stubbed their toe against Burley earlier this year. Remember, we talked about Burley knocking off the Bruins, and then they stubbed their toe against Wood River immediately after getting this win over Canyon Ridge. Um, and so, here's Wood River coming from the pack. I think Minico is still a team that is dangerous. Canyon Ridge did beat Minico with with this JV player team three to two and went mm-hmm. five sets but they did get the win and by the way since this happened canyon ridge is two and one they've beaten jerome they've beaten minico and i think uh minico still in the mix burley has shown that we can beat a team like twin falls to me really with the exception of jerome and, and probably mountain home yeah. mm-hmm. i think i think any of the rest any of those five could take those two berths including canyon ridge you know we keep talking about they're JV players. I have to stop saying that because they are varsity players now. This is true, true. this is Canyon Ridge's varsity team. And by the way, Canyon Ridge is a good program. I mean, there's a good chance that Canyon Ridge's JV was beaten up on everybody just like their varsity does, right? Well, you, you, and and that's true. This is a still a, a pretty dang good Canyon Ridge team. I mean, you got two of those varsity players that are back. They're important cogs of that varsity team. But man, this speaks to the program itself. When you can bring in these JV players and still win, I mean, you're not winning three nothing. You're winning three to two, but you're still winning against the other varsity teams. I mean, what does that tell you about the the program and the talent that is within this Canyon Ridge team? And you know, I'm, it's just unfortunate that that those varsity girls that walked out aren't going to get to experience the competition, you know, the, the teammates, the bonding, they're not going to get that for whatever reason they walked out, they left. And so kudos to these JV kids for stepping up and, and handling the pressure and continuing to be competitive and win. So uh, again, like you said, that, does bring everybody else into the mix just a little bit more. So, man, story's not over. That district tournament's going to be fun, and uh, we'll talk about that when we get there. The big match that's coming up uh, next Tuesday, Scott, October 3rd. Canyon Ridge has got to go up to Wood River, um, so we'll see. Uh, that game could end, end up deciding the regular season title uh, if everybody keeps beating up on each other, so it's uh, very interesting for sure. Uh, let's let, let's switch to football, Scott, where um, kind of quietly, I guess we've talked about it a little bit, but uh, the Hagerman Pirates football team at the 1A D2 level. Now they're going to move up next year. They've got a big, you know, enrollment size right now. So they're going to move up a classification next year. But for the moment, uh, this is a program that is four and one. They just opened, I think, I think people in the Magic Valley knew that Hagerman was good, but now people statewide have taken notice because they just took Dietrich, the team that got to the championship last year, and really dusted them up and, and took care of business in a pretty convincing win. And now it's like, we know Camas County is good. Here comes Hagerman as well, and they're on a collision course. 
Yeah, this is a really good time to be a Hagerman Pirate. Bill Hicks has got him rolling right now. Their only loss this year was to Rockland, and, and they got thumped by Rockland, 48 to 12. And, you know, sitting at 4-1 and one right now in, in conference, or overall 1-0 and oh in conference play, uh, the conference play is now just getting started. So, I mean, they're only 1-0, and oh, each team is. 0-1, oh 1-0, one, one, oh, one game, right? So this game with Camus is a real good litmus test as to how good is Hagerman. Because Camus, you know, they're coming in at 3-1. and one. And, you know, if you want to kind of play that measuring game, uh, Hagerman lost to Rockland. Camus, um, they beat Rockland handily in that opener, 62-12. to 12. So, you know, their loss was to Butte County, who's a very good football team and a great program. So, you know, on paper, you're looking at this going, well, Camas might have the edge a little bit, and it's at Camas County. But Hagerman is just kind of the surprise darling of the bunch all of a sudden. And uh, they, they are definitely rolling and have some momentum. So, I don't know. Uh, we'll see how this shakes out. But once we get into this, more of these conference games, then I think we're going to really see where the chips fall because Hagerman still has, you know, some pretty tough teams left on their schedule. Yeah. Um, but getting Dietrich out of the way was a huge notch in terms of three teams from this league get to the playoffs. And we think yes. there's probably four with Dietrich and Castle Ford and Camus and Hagerman all competing. By the way, those four all play each other this week. Scott, the schedule works yeah. out great where Hagerman's playing Camus County and Dietrich is playing Castle Ford. Those Dietrich and Castleford were two playoff teams from a year ago. Now there's a chance one of those two doesn't get in this year. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's where the teams like Hagerman just kind of come out of nowhere and go, you know what? I think, I think we're going to go this year, you know, and, and for Hagerman's schedule. Yeah. That Dietrich win was huge because the next two games are, are against those two teams. And it's, it's really a three game gauntlet for Hagerman right now. I mean, Dietrich, they took care of, they got Camus tomorrow night. Next week, they've got Castleford. You know, and so those three games right there, there are none bigger. And that stretch will make or break their season most likely. Yeah, uh, I will. I will point out that when Hagerman lost to Rockland, they did not have their starting quarterback, Wyatt Mavencamp. He had injured his shoulder mm -hmm. the week prior and left the game and he did not play in that game. Hagerman likes to run the ball anyways. They've got this back Martin Gonzalez and if he turns the corner, He's gone. Adios. They've got Kai Kendall, big receiver. They line him up in the backfield sometimes and give him the ball. He actually took over at quarterback when Wyatt Mavencamp got hurt earlier this yep. year. And then they've got this fullback, Wyatt Hoskovec, who's also a big bruiser. All of these guys just kind of take turns and, and share the load. And it really kind of they're kind of like the four horsemen of Hagerman. And uh, it's been really fun to watch this team this year. And we'll see how they do against Camas County. Yeah, no, absolutely. They definitely have some players, and a couple of those kids are underclassmen, like the Kendall kids, just a junior. Um, so, you know, there's some things building on this team, you know, and you look up and down their roster, you know, they're not really senior heavy either. You know, you, you look at them, and there's, gosh, maybe four, three seniors on this entire Hagerman roster. So yeah. that, that speaks well for what's coming. Yes, I will mention real quick with football as well. Magic Valley game night this week on IdahoSports.com. Uh, we're going to be back at Burley as Bishop Kelly comes to town. This is going to be an interesting non-conference mm -hmm. battle. BK 
pretty much unanimous number one in the media and the coaches polls. Uh, Burley is kind of reeling a little bit. Um, some of the problems they had last year with defense and giving up too many points. Um, but they've got an opportunity here, a big showcase game against Bishop Kelly to show, okay, things are different now. Uh, this will be an interesting game. It's such a big matchup. Scott, we're sending over the bus, Paul Kingsbury to broadcast this game. Ooh. Wow. Really? <laughs> Paul, Paul drew that one. Yep. I guess when you uh, own the company, you get to go where you want, but right. Yeah. I mean, Burley is reeling right now because I mean, they're coming on They're three in a row they've lost and they have given up a ridiculous amount of points. And, and we saw this last year, you know, that you cannot play this video game offense and have your defense be Swiss cheese. You know, you just, you can't do it. And, you know, they granted, you know, Gatlin bear was out of one of those games, but still you're giving up on the season 20 to mountain home, and even though you scored 79, you know, you gave up 30 to Valley View, yet you scored 65. You gave up 47 to Shelley and, and, and got thumped. You lost that defensive battle at against Preston, 53 to 51. And then last week, Minico just kind of flexed their muscle and says, hey, little brother, you're still little brother. And beat them 64 to 25. So somewhere along the way, Burley's got to figure out the defensive side of the football and Bishop Kelly. Holy crap. This is maybe Bishop Kelly should have petitioned up to, you know, six a, and I think everybody was hoping that anyway, but they're coming in undefeated. And in those five games, two of those are shutouts. They shut out Lake city. They shut out Valley view and I mean, they are just destroying people. The most points they've given up on the season is 17 to Centennial and a 42 to 17 win. I mean, they've won 49 to 14, 42 to 17, 47 to 6, 45 to nothing, 49 to nothing. And there's Bishop Kelly just doing what Bishop Kelly does. I will say, Bishop Kelly did petition up to 6A in boys and girls soccer and swimming. So they're kind of using it as a little test. Really? Right. Really? really who are you fooling don't tell me that bishop kelly cannot compete at the 6a level in football in boys basketball dad get out of here with that that is you know what we did a whole podcast on that and my thoughts still haven't changed they're awesome everybody hates them <laughs> Truer words have never been spoken on this show. So uh, Burley will host Bishop Kelly. If you just want to see what Bishop Kelly's all about this year, this is a good opportunity to watch them Friday night as they take on Burley on Magic Valley game night right here at on IdahoSports.com. Totally live, totally free kickoff at 7 o'clock. All right, Scott, uh, before we get to your thoughts, I did want to mention we we got an email from, uh, from uh, Tanya Young over at Burley. Uh, Wanted us to give a little love to the cross-country runners. Last week, the Bob Furman invite was held at Eagle Island Park over there in, in the Treasure Valley. It is the biggest meet of the year uh, in terms of cross-country, just the sheer number of participants, Scott. Um, they have uh, basically so many runners. They have to split up. They have a varsity elite race where the elite runners come in and run. 
um, the best of the best times. And then they split up. There's a division one, which is bigger schools, division two, which is smaller schools. And even in amongst those, they have to split it up. It's like, okay, schools that start with the letters a through M are in this flight. And then N through Z are in this one. It didn't matter. Burley came out and won their race, won their grouping convincingly putting up 49 points, which is you want low number of points in cross country, uh, 49 points to get the win. Very impressive. You know, this, this is a burly distance squad that is really powering their track team too. And, and I saw this, well, I mean, it's over the last couple of years, but it really kind of came to my attention last year when I was watching these kids run, um, at a track meet and, you know, people make a, a big deal out of all the sprinting and the fast guys and blah, blah, blah. You watch these milers and two milers go in, in this track meet. And you there are green jerseys everywhere towards the front of the pack. And you're like, holy cow, this is a really good distance squad. And they're going to make their track team so much better with a guy like Gatlin Bear running for you. But at the same time, the cross-country side of things, this is a really good uh, cross country team, and they're, they're they're it's I don't know. Uh, saying cross country is fun to watch is is not a popular statement, but if you kind of know what you're looking for and you know how the scoring works and you know how the packs work, and uh, then it becomes really interesting. And Burley understands that because you know they're scoring really really well, and and there is some strategy to getting your kids in the right positions. And so, man, that was a huge win for Burley. Yeah, that's what I enjoy about it is the strategy part of it. So Ryan Garrett is the top finisher. He took eighth overall, but look at this. They went eight, nine, and 10. Ryan Garrett, Austin Ricks, Will Cox. They were all right there within 12 seconds of each other. So that's a pack that ran together for most of the race, pushing each other. Hey, let's come on. Let's finish. Let's finish high. Let's get top 10. So they go eight, nine, and 10. Yet Alex Rushton take 14th and Luke Monroe place 19th. So that's five of the top 20. Yeah, that'll win you the team title, no doubt. Oh, yeah, it will. And, and and that's the thing that, you know, the casual viewer doesn't quite get is that you, you look at a sport like cross country and you're thinking, okay, well, just get out there and run. Fast guy wins. But it, it's not like that at all. It's it's a total team thing. And and you said it perfectly. Push each other, you know, and, and they do that not just in, in training and practice, but in a race, you know, they are trying to push each other. Maybe it's going to be this guy that's going to, you know, set the pace for the next little bit. And then, you know, Hey, let's back it off and let's switch it up. And I'm going to set the pace. You stay with me this time. That little cat and mouse thing is, is what strategy is about. And, and that's what makes cross country unique. Um, and again, the casual observer doesn't see those things, but Burley gets it, you know, and the thing about Burley too, is they got a, a, a ton of kids out for cross country and when you get that that many those that many kids that just want to come out and run and throw up and whatever they do i mean that that, that speaks a lot about your program yeah so uh caitlin harper is coaching the burley cross country boys and girls doing a fantastic job and um to give you an idea so burley finishes with 43 points highland 
from Pocatello, a 5A school, was second with 92. So that is a blowout in cross country. And then probably my favorite team name, Scott, in third place was Hurricane High from Utah. <laughs> Good old Hurricane High. But they, they were at 127. So that gives you an idea of just how dominant this win was and how many athletes were competing here. Uh, Tanya sent this to us. 4,432 athletes from 158 high schools and 69 middle schools covering seven different states. I mean, just wow. <laughs> Holy cow. And to get a, a win in that type of company, man, that is impressive. Yeah. So, uh, Tanya also sent a picture of the Burley boys uh, posing after their uh, first place finish here at the Bob Furman invite. We'll throw it up on the screen here, Scott. Look at that. It's a good looking team right there. Nice. Look at those medals around their necks all championed up. Good for them. That's a, that's, that's a awesome. really, that's a really good meet the Bob Furman and to, to show like that impressive victory. Yeah. I mean, just at districts alone, we know what kind of cross-country program Twin Falls has. Um, to see Twin Falls and Burley go head-to-head is going to be really fun, I yeah. think, as well. At Absolutely. I just had to look up what Hurricane High School's mascot was. Just <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, I It's like, like ADD just kicked in, and I'm like, uh, want to ride bikes? So what is it? Well, I, I was hoping for something very unique. I mean, right. Hurricane. I mean. Come on. Uh, yeah. You could have some fun with that, but it's a tiger. Oh, geez. We don't have enough of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That's kind of how I felt. I'm sitting here going, oh, this is going to be good. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. All right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So congratulations to the Burley boys uh, cross country team competing at the Bob Furman invite over there in, in the treasure Valley. Nicely done. Way to go. Um, okay. Before we get out of here, oh, it's hey, time for on. one, one thing. Uh, Castle Ford and Buell, their gym situation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally forgot about this on the rundown. Yes. Okay, Scott. Um, so, yeah. So, so for fans that may not know, Castle Ford hasn't had a home gym this year. Uh, they were renovating the gym, resurfacing the floor, I think. And yeah, it took a little longer and spilled into the school year. And so what do you do? You call the next town over and say, hey, can you help us out? Yeah, and that's uh, that's what happened. And so, you, Castleford was just in that unique, unfortunate situation where not having a home, and so they called Buell, and Buell's like, "Come on over, we'll we'll help you out," you know. And so, um, the thing about that situation was that they had a, a flooding issue, you know, in their gym, and so they wanted to use the Seventh Street gym in Buell. And uh, they worked it out with locker rooms and, you know, and Castle Ford moved some of their games uh, to the road because, you know, they were hosting, Buell was hosting football games and they needed those locker rooms. So this was a really kind of a, a unique kind of scheduling situation because they couldn't use their locker rooms when Buell had a football game. So, you know, those games they just went on the road for. And so there was just a lot of flexibility and uh, Buell had no problem doing that. You know, hats off to uh, Stacy Wilson over there, their, their AD who accommodated them. And, you know, and really it, it affected the volleyball program, obviously. And uh, Kirsten Keach, their coach over there, was just so grateful um, 
for for Buell to allow them to practice and and compete and you know it, the thing is it, it took time away from their youth programs too and that's what people aren't going to realize is you know sure the varsity gets displaced but all these younger kids that use that gym and they're trying to grow a program they went an entire year without a place to go you know and but everybody was was really working together um uh and and buell you know they they stepped up and they took care of a lot of the small things that allowed them to play and so castleford didn't have to go into a game at buell and worry about you know who's who's taking tickets who's doing this who's doing that who's doing that buell stepped up and really 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 helped and you know talking to coach keach you know she said leaving the gym after the last practice there she said it was kind of emotional you know um because it was a season that they'll never have again an experience that they'll never have again um lots of practices and some wins there um lots of memories and she just said it was really kind of a cool deal but it was it's just one school looking out for another and these are the things and the stories that uh, you don't hear about a whole lot and and there's not a lot to it but it still does need to get recognized yeah, it's just neighbors helping neighbors, and we see that time and again in the in the Magic Valley and and throughout Idaho as well. But especially in the Magic Valley, I feel like where these communities are are so close knit, um, and that and that's the part I wanted to talk about was I was thinking about okay, well, you know, the occasional game, not a big deal. But then I was like, oh man, they probably had to go there every day to practice, and it's not just varsity; it's JV as well, and coordinating the times and all that stuff. And uh, kudos to both schools, Buell and Castleford, for. Uh, you know, coming to some sort of agreement here as Castle Ford. Now their gym is done, Scott. It's it's repaired and finished. And so uh, Wolves fans, you can enjoy some nice home action in your own gym now. That's right. So hats off to both Castle Ford and, and Buell for putting some things above the game. That's right. Uh, speaking of above the game, it's time for Scott's thoughts, uh, where every week, Scott, we give you a topic to kind of uh, philosophize on. It's good uh, little nuggets of info and reminders for not just young men and women, but also us adults. Sometimes we need refreshers uh, as well, Scott. So uh, <coughs> this this week's topic of Scott's thoughts was all based upon me leaving my cell phone at a football game two weeks ago and not having access to it for an entire weekend. The horror. Oh, my goodness. So the, the Scott's thoughts topic this week is. How do we not become a slave to technology, to our smartphones, to our devices? How do we how do we block out that noise? So take it away. You know, I, when you brought up the cell phone thing, like all of these topics, they could go so many different directions. And and what I kept coming back to was the effect on kids, you know, and and maybe tie that in a little bit to high school sports um, because really that's what we're talking about here. But I can't help but think about cell phones and kids. And, and, and really it's, I don't know, I'm, I, it's just a, a spot with me that, that I'm passionate about. And, and here's what I'll say about cell phones and knowing that that's the direction that I wanna go. You know, I, I feel so lucky to have grown up in the era that I did, you know, a time when I knew what it was like to be disconnected, to be left to my own thoughts, to not be constantly entertained and stimulated. I remember what it was like to have real relationships with real people. 
And the only screen time I got was Saturday mornings when cartoons came on from 6 until 10 a.m. Once a week, that was it. Life was simple. Well, flash forward, and my, how things have changed. When you ask coaches, teachers, administrators, and, and even parents, but one of the biggest distractions and contributors to the decline of our kids, well, the answer is easy. It's a cell phone. And it's not only destroying our children, it's hurting high school sports. You know, studies have shown that 95% of teens have a phone and now have the world at their fingertips, unfiltered and unsupervised. And these same studies show that spending too much time on your phone and social media, which go hand in hand, well, they lead to anxiety, sleep deprivation, dip, depression, decreases our attention span, and the list goes on and on. So why do we keep letting this happen? Why do we put these devices in the hands of our children without teaching them the proper usage and that phones don't replace people? And why do our kids act like drug addicts when we try to take them away? Look, I'm not saying that cell phones and social media are the devil, but they certainly can be. If we don't teach our kids that our phones are not our identity and that the internet, it is forever. And whatever stupid picture you send will exist or always somewhere. You know, how many times have we seen one of our athletes do something dumb with their phones only to end up in trouble with the school and their team? And when you look at the landscape of high school sports over the years, there's a pattern. Kids are not participating. Of course, there are several possible factors, but you can't tell me that our phones don't have something to do with this. You know, these kids are born into a tech-savvy world and raised in the glow of a digital device. They know no different. We've let our phones and social media turn us into an emotional and reactional society instead of a logical one, where we choose posting over discussing, texting over talking, and reacting over thinking. And this culture affects high school sports. You know, as our athletes, they become soft and unable to work through problems without posting about them. And this behavior finds its way onto the team. You know, our phones and social media have allowed us to create conversations behind teammates' backs, behind coaches' backs, hiding behind screens rather than confronting an issue head on. It's cowardly, and yet it's a snapshot of the cell phone world. And this type of behavior, you know, it doesn't allow our kids to know or experience the emotional damage they cause when they simply hit send. Before phones, we had board games, bikes, we climbed trees, we, we were active. And now the activity is on the phone. And it's no wonder why kids opt out of PE and any type of physical activity, which includes sports. Now, I know that these talks end up focusing on the big three, coaches, parents, and athletes. And you know what, this one, it's no different. Coaches, you can take some of this control because you are one of the biggest influences these kids will ever have. Have them turn in their phones on bus rides to games. No phones in the locker room. Perhaps that time can be spent getting in the right mindset to head into battle where you step off the bus focused on the game and not what someone just said in your last Snapchat. 
Help teach our athletes how to live, how to feel the highs and lows of competition, and to not always choose the phone. Choose life. Choose your teammates. Choose the memories you make with them because high school, it flies by so quickly. And athletes, high school sports are struggling. And they're struggling because there are so many distractions and we choose them over people, over the feeling of crossing a finish line, the feeling of scoring a basket, the feeling of hearing the crowd cheering on Friday night. And now we've chosen to feel based on how many likes or views we get. And with all of those distractions, it's no wonder we're messed up. And to some athletes who are immersed in this culture, the team becomes the distraction. You know, we used to apply ourselves. Now, there's an app for that. And parents, you are the key to it all. You are the ones to teach them about life and family and not throw a tablet in front of a toddler or shut them up for a while. You are the ones to monitor the use of your kid's phone and be present in their lives, guiding them through difficult times with human interaction. And hold them accountable for their behaviors and put your foot down when they don't behave and be a parent and take the phone away. And while you're at it, get off your own phone. Now I know I have a harsh view of cell phones, but as a coach, administrator, and a parent, I, I've seen it from all sides. And most of it, it's not good. You know, we've forgotten how to go outside, how to be physical, how to work, how to solve problems, how to experience life, how to build a bike ramp or a fort. You know, we don't drive down the street and see pickup basketball games or kids throwing the football around anymore. We have forgotten how to play. Today, we play, but we don't move. You know, we used to get a knock on the door with a friend asking if we could come outside and play, and now we get a ding on our phone. And high school sports, they're suffering in this instant gratification and constant stimulation world we live in. You know, we have failed to foster relationships with teammates, with coaches, with our own family, because we live in this three-foot bubble. We have become reclusive and we don't socialize. We don't participate and we don't play. And when we do play, we're distracted and not engaged. You know, I'm not trying to be negative, but it's frustrating because life is a beautiful thing. So much to see, so much to do, to experience, and we're missing it. You know, there's something to be said about keeping life simple, taking time to enjoy the silence, to enjoy eliminating the noise and the clutter, because time waits for no one. And if we don't pause and look up, our time is gone and we cannot get it back. In closing, I find it funny because we are the most connected society in the history of the world, yet we are the most disconnected from each other. And those are Scott's thoughts. Yeah, that was great, Scott, because we could, I mean, we could spend 10 episodes <laughs> diving into this subject matter, right? Uh, but I think I think you hit the the nail on the head. We have lost our ability to communicate with one another. Uh, you see it all the time, right? Yeah, you do. It's frustrating, you know. And I don't know how many vacation photos you would look at 
and this is what you're seeing. I mean, you're on freaking vacation, man. Put it away, you know, or just go to a ball game. Just go to a ball game and just look around. And it's like, are you, are you kidding me? And it's not just kids to everybody. I mean, this, what, what's happening right now is that it's almost like a, a lost generation of, of these people that knew what it was like in the before times before we walked through that veil and all of a sudden it's technology. I mean, teaching has changed because now it's Google classroom and we're on our laptops and it's like, what, what happened to the, the connection that a teacher would have with their students where they're up there and they're kind of going at it and they're doing it and they're winning them over with personality, not a computer, you know? So it, it, I hate to see it. And what I hate more than anything is when I see kids, little kids with phones, I mean, what are we doing? You know, it, it just, it drives me crazy. It's a topic that I'm, I am passionate about. And so I could have, I could have gone on for days, but I went on for about a half a day. <laughs> so, no, you, you did. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, that drives me nuts when you're, uh, at a, at a, baseball game or you're watching a game on tv and it's the last pitch potentially of the game and everybody's got their phone out recording so they can share it on social media nobody cares i and in my opinion nobody cares that you were at this game and oh you've got this video a uh, grainy video of somebody getting a strikeout like just enjoy the game like well yeah i mean and that's the thing is that you know yeah i want it for posterity i want it for my kid whatever but you are not actually engaged in that moment yeah. because your attention is not on what's happening on that field, your attention is, am I going to get this shot? You're not engaged. And that's part of the problem. You know, that thing right there keeps us from engaging in so many things, you know, you know how and, and what it does, is it turns a lot of us into cowards because we can hide behind a screen and say whatever we want without any repercussions, you know, and it, it just drives me bananas. Yeah. I, I, should, I need to move into the woods somewhere, write a manifesto and just, you know, just, <laughs> Get off the grid. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I live in North Idaho, so I know lots of good places for you, Scott. <laughs> you can do good. that up here. Um, yeah. And, and one last thing. Uh, you want to save it for posterity, share with your kids, share it by telling them the story. Tell them, tell them the story of what you were feeling in that moment and what you saw. And I think that's anyways. Um, all right. Are you ready for next week? Scott's thoughts topic. Yeah, let's do this. Okay. As promised, it involves Taylor Swift. Uh, that was the big story from the sports world this last yeah. weekend. Taylor Swift allegedly dating Travis Kelsey, all pro tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, and with that came a ton of new eyeballs, a ton of new attention, a ton of new scrutiny to not just Travis Kelsey, but all of his teammates where uh, Taylor Swift fans that don't know the first thing about football have all of a sudden flocked to watch this team because, hey, Taylor Swift's man plays, you know, split end or tight end or whatever it's called. They probably don't even know what a tight end is. But <laughs> the, the, to the topic is, Scott, how, how do we handle that when, when there's a lot of scrutiny and a lot of pressure on a team and a lot of people looking at you? Where we see this sometimes in sports where a team that's kind of been under the radar for a couple of seasons has that big breakthrough and then all of a sudden – Everybody wants to talk about them. Everybody wants to come watch them play. Everybody's got an opinion about them. How, how do you handle that? How do you handle the extra attention and pressure that comes with more people tuning in to see what your team's all about? Yeah, that's an, that's an interesting one too, because my knee jerk reaction to it is that 
it's easy to succeed when nobody's watching you. But what do you do when the lights come on? What do you do when there's that extra attention and every move that you're making is being scrutinized? That's what happens when teams step onto a big stage is they can fly through a regular season because they're under the radar. But what happens when you're on the radar and you're taking everybody's best shot? You know, how do you perform then? And so when I liken what you said to sports, that's what comes to mind. And that's probably the direction I'll take it. Um, but there's my knee jerk reaction to it. That's interesting. Yeah. And I mean, I thought right away of like, we talked about the Hagerman football team this week. It's, it's been a minute since Hagerman has been a, a discussion of, you know, on a statewide level of, Hey, this is a team that could do some damage and, and get to mm-hmm. the playoffs. And that, how do they handle that? How do they, it was, it's, it's always easier when you're just going through the season and, and nobody's paying much attention to you outside of your hometown fans. But when everybody mm-hmm. from all corners of the state start tuning in okay how do you handle that so yeah and it's funny too because i i one of the things that popped in my head was you know i i taught public speaking for 25 years or whatever it was uh still coach the speech team so i'm still involved in like teaching public speaking but the thing that came to my head was it's like when i taught that when a kid gets up in front of a class and all eyes are on them i mean it's a they fold like a lawn chair but if you were to sit them in their desk and they were to say the exact same thing, they don't feel like all the eyes are on them and they can, they can talk. Well, they're not changing anything that they're saying. They're just changing the recogn- recognition that they're getting, right? So I, I see the parallels yeah. and sports teams really no different. Yep. So handling added scrutiny will be next week's Scott's thoughts topic. And we're looking forward to it as always. We went a little longer today, Scott, but we had a lot of good uh, info to talk about some off field stuff. Unfortunately, hopefully next week it's just back to between the lines and talking about what's happening in the athletic arena. But as always, thank you, Scott. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Another good one. And uh, looking forward to next week. District tournaments coming up right around the corner. Yeah, that reminds me. I got to start emailing athletic directors to get district tournament brackets. So thank you, Scott. If you want to send me the Great Basin one, that'll be one less I got to do. So I'm gonna put that. <laughs> I'm gonna put that on you. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Uh, thanks for tuning into the Magic Valley Prepcast, everybody. For Scott Burton, I'm Brandon Bainey, and we'll see you next time on IdahoSports.com.